0: There's this tendency in the western philosophical academy to ignore mysticism again not just in Maimonides but in all of ancient and medieval philosophy when really the, the two were I, I think inextricably linked you know what what is the actual experience being described here you know in some sense I wish he'd you know sort of come out and describe his journey directly and you know we wouldn't have to Speculate and you know piece together the puzzle, but like I, I think that's part of the beauty of the guy is he wanted, he wanted to guide us along his journey. He didn't just want to come out and tell us what he believes. Right. And I think the more I delve into, I mean, he's like from from Moses to Moses, another arose like Moses. I think, I think it's true. I mean, <laughs> I know, like people say it's a hyperbole, but like he really did. Think reveal
1: truths about
0: spirituality, the nature of God, you know, in ways that really no one since Moses did, and no one since him has really done either. And I think that's why so much of post indian Jewish theology is just trying to uncover the meaning of Immanence because it really was just such a such a profound work. Hey, yeah, can you hear me? Yes, now I hear you. Excellent. Woo!
1: Okay,
2: <laughs> we'll do it without earphones. How are you? Good, thank God. How are you? You're doing well, thank God. Thanks for joining me here.
0: No problem.
2: I don't know much about you. Um No, you... nor are you. <laughs> so good. Yes. We should get to know each other. Yes. Wait, so tell me a bit about you and then I'll tell you about my about myself.
0: Um I so I mean I guess my background, I'm I'm a high school genetics teacher. Nice. Um I you know, my interest in my interest in Maimonides started very young, you know, going back to, you know, I had a high school teacher who introduced me to the guy to the perplexed and, but, you know, early on it was sort of very purely philosophical, mm-hmm. just like what does, you know, the the intellectual system, what does he believe? And, you know, I'd say my, you know, when I was younger, I had like zero interest in mysticism at all, um, you know, sort of very much in the, you know, enlightenment mindset of you know, mysticism is just sort of this fuzzy, subjective thing, can't be verified, can't be, you know, can't be explained. And
1: I guess just my my
0: thinking on my mind These changed over the years, um, you know, from a couple of different angles. One, you know, one, you know, a, a teacher of mine at one point, introduced me to the concept of intellectual mysticism and like just the notion that mysticism and rationalism didn't need to be at odds with each other. um, And also sort of the difference between mysticism and, you know, an enchanted universe, which tend to get conflated so often, Um, and I started seeing things in Maimonides that sounded kind of mystical, like, you know, like his theory of knowledge and, you know, and, you know, you know, the union of the knower and the known is like, well, that sounds kind of like union mystica if you think about it. Um, and so that was one angle. And then the other angle that got me interested in it was from a totally different side, having nothing to do with Maimonides at first, which was I, I read Andrew Newberg's work on the neuroscience of mysticism, um, which sort of led me down the path of reading all this Huxley and and um uh and uh William James on mysticism and and, you know as I started reading about mysticism not as a specific movement but sort of as this global religious psychological phenomenon I just started seeing a lot of echoes of Maimonides in there it's like someone needs to synthesize these two
1: and how did you go about synthesizing them um
0: I mean, it's a work in progress. It's not, uh, can't say that I have produced the grand synthesis yet, but I mean, I think in general, the realization, you know, and and I think, you know, sort of when when I first went about it, it was sort of that, you know, that Aristotelian, you know, unity of the knower of the known, but then as I I thought about it more, really the, the negative theology, like negative theology always goes together with mysticism. You know, once you, once you get to the notion that you can't have any, you can't have any, you know, direct knowledge of God, well, that, I've tried to remember, this is not my original line, but I don't remember who, who said this, but I read this, but that, that always takes you in one of two directions, either it can take you to radical agnosticism, of well, I don't know if I if I don't know anything about God, I can't really know God's existence either, which I guess ultimately is the direction that Shlomo Pines thinks Maimonides went in, or it could take you to apophatic mysticism, where I can't know God, I can only directly experience God.
1: Right,
2: he uh, Franz Rosenzweig has that line in The Star of Redemption that that apophatic ap- apophatic theology or negative theology is where mysticism and atheism shake hands.
0: Is that Rosenzweig? Okay, that must be where I thought.
2: So you, so you're, you grew up in a non-mystical world. You're introduced to the guide in a non-mystical context. You begin reading it, You begin to see some themes of mysticism, and then through another direction, you get introduced to mysticism. And then you begin to see more and more Maimonides there. And you begin to put together your thoughts, your notes, and you write a really brilliant article for Lairhouse on Maimonides and mysticism, which I think is Probably where I began doing my research was actually with with your thoughts and I think you really mapped out some of the really the the good directions to that and points me to the scholarship whether that be Blumenthal or Frodenthal. um and I'm curious so I'm getting a sense of your journey or trajectory here where do things continue from there because I I don't get to see what happens past that point
0: right so that article was really like my first my first foray into into the topic uh, and Really, just sort of like you said, relying primarily on Blumenthal and Fardanthal, not not so much my own work, uh, and
1: and you know you know
0: Blumenthal obviously did a lot of work on you know looking for like specific linguistic parallels between Maimonides and Sufism and. and on some level, like I, I think he does a lot of good work there and it's not so much my interest. I'm not so much interested in, you know, exactly where did the Rambam get this from as, you know, sort of, I'm much more interested in, in, in the the phenomenology of religion than the history of religion. Uh, you know, what what is the actual experience being described here? Uh,
1: and so I guess the, where, where sort of my thought has developed since then is really
0: trying to understand, mis- again, mysticism just as a general phenomenon and seeing where I see that. And also both focusing much more on the negative theology because neither, Blumenthal a little bit more than Friedenthal, but neither one of them focused that much on the negative theology and really that sense that that sense that you know if you think about what the ramam is describing in part 3 chapter 51 of the guide it is it is your typical you know apophatic mystical meditation of remove remove everything from your thoughts and God is what ex- experienced what you experience when you clear everything else from your mind and I think I think it's interesting and as some scholars have written about this again from a philosophical perspective you know the shift in these thinkings from his earlier works to the guide and I think the shift is very clearly a shift away from Aristotelianism and if you look at you know, if you look at the Mishnah Torah he never really has the kind of radical theology in Mishnah Torah, the radical negative theology in Mishnah Torah that he does in the Guide. So seeing that, you know, seeing that sort of development in his thought.
2: That's okay. That's really interesting. There's a whole lot of like themes that you're bringing up that I want to ask you about. I'm, I'm yeah. just notes here to to keep track of this. Um, before we like launch into a heavier conversation, like this has sure. got a very light start here um when you say mysticism can you give me a working definition
1: for what that word term means for you mysticism
0: for me is the attempt to experience directly god or some ultimate reality since obviously not every mystical system mystical system uses the word god
2: right so to have a to have a direct
0: immediate experience of
2: God or ultimate reality, yeah.
0: right. and and usually usually brought on through meditation. Though obviously there are some testimonies of people having spontaneous mystical experiences, but not that. Common.
2: So that would include something like the techniques or practices of of mysticism that, that bring to that experience. Yeah. Um, okay. So a few a few things here that I want to ask about. One is firstly this insistence on negative theology or or negative theology as being the the focus of your interest now as opposed to a mysticism found in maimonides through his theory of knowledge or or some other ways to get there this yeah. metaphysics of getting there, to his cosmology and, and other like neoplatonic directions but specifically the negative theology direction so i'm, I'm curious because negative theology is not unique to mystics firstly there there, there are theologians throughout history who are negative theologians without being mystics and you have mystics who aren't negative theologians who are cataphatic like in their theology
1: so yes yeah what do you what do you make
0: of that um i mean i think you'd be hard-pressed to find a negative the- theologian without mystical inclinations um
2: would you say that aquinas is a negative theologian without mysticism
0: uh I'm not convinced of either of those statements about Aquinas, either that he is uh, a negative theologian or that he is, I mean, Aquinas Aquinas. So I'm not that familiar with Aquinas. So, you know, you know, bracketing everything I say here, but I do believe Aquinas sometimes shades into mysticism. I, I, I read at some point like a critique of Bertrand Russell's critique of Aquinas that you know that for that critiquing Bertrand Russell for ignoring mysticism as a factor in Aquinas's thought
1: Uh
0: um again I'm not that familiar with either Aquinas or Russell so I can't really evaluate that scholarship myself um and and I don't think that I think Aquinas if I recall correctly has a critique of negative theology I think he, he he has this thing where you can't really have any real negative theology because if you describe God as ineffable, ineffable is a description.
1: Right, right, right.
2: Um, okay, uh, let's come let's come back to that question. I I'm curious. This is something which I saw in your in a later essay you published for Lairhouse, that Maimonides okay. drifts away from his commitment to Aristotelianism. Who who are the scholars that you're following in that direction? Is that or is that something that you've
0: um,
1: that your own direction of thought?
0: Who? Uh, yeah. What's? Oh, name's at the tip of my tongue. Um,
2: I know that Ivry, um makes the case that Maimonides drifts away from his Aristotelianism. Um, yeah, I mean, Penace makes it also. Every um, every every has this very cute reading of Maimonides' letter to his translator um, Ibn Ibn Tibbon, and he says that the reason why Maimonides actually like, persuades Ibn Tibbon not to visit is because Maimonides was going through his own crisis of faith, which was his faith in Aristotelianism, and he sensed that Ibn Tibid was sensing that, and he didn't want Ibn Tibid to come and put it to him directly, which is why he pushes him away, which is such a funny reading, because we typically think of a crisis of faith as being, like, a faith with religion, not with, like, your favorite. Yeah,
0: I mean, I don't know if that's for sure. I mean, it's interesting in the letter to Ibn Tibbin he still, you know, he still has all his praises for Aristotle, um, but I think it's, it's 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 key, I think, that even with all his praise for Aristotle, Aristotle, you know, had the greatest human achievements, except the level of the prophets. And I think that's not a throwaway line. Huh. I think he wants to hint at to you there that there is a level beyond Aristotle. <laughs> Don't forget about the prophets.
1: Oh, uh, and I think the prophets,
0: and I think and I and I think you know, prophecy is such a huge theme in in his writings when he, when he says that i don't think he means the words of the bible i think he means the pursuit of prophecy for the individual
2: so you think he's including like non biblical prophets in that line of of placing people above aristotle potentially
0: i again i, I don't think i don't think he I, I don't think he means he's referring to specific non biblical prophets but i think i think it's very clear and i guess i follow heschel in this well, I'm not. I'm not 100% sure that Heschel is right. That my mind is believe he had actually achieved right. prophecy, right. but that he that he for sure was trying to. Right, he right. for Sure, saw achieving prophecy as a goal of, right. uh, as a goal of his religious quest. Um, and and I think it's key that he believed, you know, let's say, contra, Al-Farabi and, and Avicenna, that prophecy could grant real knowledge that was that was philosophically indeterminate right that you know and I I think that's sort of the all of the chapters on on creation in the guide I think are pushing in that direction
2: yeah I so I I read your case against um or, or for Maimonides abandonment of Aristotelianism um it seemed to me and and I haven't read so much into the subject on on that area as you have but it seems to me like we can kind of read the passages in the guide which may be non aristotelian like either way if like if we wanted to bring some sort of um like generous hermeneutic we could still be reading them as Aristotelian is there some other motivation or some other more like explicit reason why we would want to read those as an abandonment of Aristotelianism because they didn't seem terribly persuasive in and of
0: themselves. Okay. Um yeah. So, so let me get to that. So I just so the, the the scholar I was thinking of before is uh Charles Mannequin. Okay. Who he's a scholar at the University of Maryland and he's done a lot of research looking at changes in Maimonides' thoughts and the way he I don't necessarily agree with all of his conclusions, but he he portrays it as greater theological conservatism in in Maimonides' later writings. Uh-huh. Um, and of course the other one as I as I just briefly re- referenced earlier is, is Shlomo Pines, who, who thinks that also that, I mean, he's moved away from Aristotelianism towards, you know, he thinks towards agnosticism. Right. But, right. you know, but also, you know, documenting the constant every time he references, every time he references, you know, the separate intelligences in the guide, it's always with a measure of skepticism. Hmm um what's what's motivating it for me I mean let's say there's the reason that I hope it's not but is always you know a factor with all Maimonides scholars because everyone always sees themselves in Maimonides um is I hope it's not me just looking for my own spiritual development within Maimonides um though one has to be honest and acknowledge that as a possible factor uh and the other factor went like the I, I think the major factor for me was just sort of when I, when I finally read the guide cover to cover like I it took me a long time to actually do that you know I had written I had read probably most of the guide but you know just like looking up what does he say here and there yeah. about different things and using it as a philosophical text as opposed to using it <laughs> the way he says to read it just beginning to end, and first of all the realization that there just are a lot of things in the guide that feel very differently. From the way, from what he says in his earlier writings, um, and you know, sort of the the other way to read it, and you know, this is acknowledged by you know the, the 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 you know like Straussian school that that you know that tension is acknowledged, except they think that basically the non-Aristotelian things in the guide are a smokescreen, and he puts them in you know for to give him theological cover And what he really believes is the Aristotelian thing. Um, I think um, what's his name. Uh, Whereas Harvey has this article where he says well the Mishnah Torah is the you know is the secret to understanding the secrets of the guide and to me like I just don't get it like the secret views of the guide are the ones that he already said explicitly in Mishnah Torah right I think if there's I think if anything it's it's pushing in the opposite direction and he's using the Aristotelian stuff in the guide as the smoke screen to sort of distract the reader from the fact that he's pushing away from Aristotelianism
2: Hmm. and and what what is it that he's pushing towards you would say to some form of mysticism
0: um you know on a philosophical level you know you know it's it's sort of it's the tension between you know as you discussed in one of your episodes between you know the the aristotelian god of the self-knowing intellect and and the neoplatonist you know one which is beyond all Intellect beyond all being and on a philosophical level, it's you know it's sort of Neoplatonism, and I think the only thing he really likes from Neoplatonism is, is the negative theology. You know, he very much doesn't like the hypotheses of, of Neoplatonism, but you know, so pushing at least in terms of how you think about God, the in in the in the direction of negative theology in that you know Neoplatonist direction, um, and yeah so i mean i think it's pointing in a more mystical direction but not you know not to say that the mission wasn't mystical you know i think moshe edel describes like in the middle ages you have i think he said three different schools of mysticism but you know the two that i would focus on here are the aristotelian school and the neoplatonist school um and in the aristotelian school basically the the object that you're seeking mystical union with is the active intellect and it's, you know, it's an intellectual process. you know we see that kind of in Abulafia. Uh you know, not to say that his interpretations of Maimonides were accurate, but, you know, he certainly is building off of Maimonidean ideas. Uh, and, you know, and I think you see that in the Mishnah Torah. I think, you know, when you when he talks about, when he talks about the, you know, the identity of the knower and the known, he talks about, you know, medita- meditating on meditating on these things, he talks about the love of God. I think there there is a mystical tendency there also. But I think it's really, uh, at at some point, he comes to the realization that there's something beyond that. That, as, um, as I think Diana Lobel put it, intellect, God as intellect is also an attribute of action. Right. you can't even you can't even say that about god
2: yes yeah certainly yeah uh yeah she sees it as, as like a major contradiction running through the guide it's it's interesting to it's interesting to try and grapple i mean it's like it's like a good chunk of time to work through my money's system just at face value just to get a good grip on it and then to begin to like feel into his contradictions which he says are there and yeah. and 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 try feel like because there is attention in his work his work is incredibly systematic and cohesive and coherent besides these fault lines and those fault lines are like are are consistently there and they as you begin to pull them the question is what does it give way to um and and there there seems to me like the direction that you're pointing where there there is this kind of by theism there's like this god of aristotle who's like the prime mover the 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 knowing knower whatever it is the self-knowing knower and then there seems to be this god that he's reaching to beyond and he feels like and that feels very uncomfortable like and he's and that's where a lot of scholarship is pointed to and the question is what does that move mean for him right what does that is that a move to to agnosticism to atheism to 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 mysticism to like what where is he going with that
0: yeah i mean i think that's that yeah i mean that's true and again like when you read the guide cover to cover like you sense contradictions in a way you don't when you read it piecemeal is like it can be one chapter to the next and like you see them right side by side and i think pretty much all of the contradictions are between aristotelian ideas and non-aristotelian ideas um in particular and i think much of the guide is pushing against um it was kramer who pointed out that um you know a lot of times even though Avicenna is never quoted in the guide, what the Ramam refers to as Aristotelian ideas are actually Avicennan ideas. Um, and I think a lot of the guide is in very subtle ways pushing against the notion, yeah, Avicenna's notion of a necessary divine will.
1: Hmm.
0: Um, and again, and I think part of that is, there is it, it goes together with the negative field, see how theology of the realization that if if i can say nothing about god i can't say necessary either that's also a predicate about god
2: right right and that also seems to be central to like the like the the hot topic which is like his issue of creationism versus like an eternal universe where it's where the question is one of will and one of agency in the divine is i'm curious just 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 uh, just some random things um have you Firstly, like your your knowledge across across the scholarship, besides for the primary sources, is obviously is like is really cool. So like that's that's awesome to see. Um, have you do you have people that you get to talk to like about my money Dean scholarship with, or is this all just in your head? Um, not as much as
0: I'd like, which is why I was excited <laughs> about this opportunity.
1: Nice. Um, um,
0: they, yeah, I mean, there's like there the, there are. You know, every now and then I'll 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 post something in a Facebook group or something and start a conversation on one of these topics. And but it's uh, yeah, not it's not that many people. You know, I you know sort of just sadly, you know, sort of living in a traditional Orthodox community. You know, where it's not you know, and even though I you know I totally consider this traditional Orthodox theology, but. <laughs> i he's interested in theology these days.
2: Right, right, right. Um, we're starting. I think we're starting to see a bit of a return. Uh, return to theology. There's you know a bunch of podcasts out there that are doing theology now, which is fun. do you? Did you? What? Well, I'm curious what your thoughts are, and if you've if you've spent time with chacham work, Homo Mysticus.
0: I, I have read chacham work work. Uh, big fan of it in general. I think he does yeah. a lot of good work in shifting how people think about the guide and even though like a lot of people still disagree with it with his work but he's one of those works that even if you disagree with you have to contend with yeah um you know i guess one you know sort of my two well one disappointment with the work is that he doesn't he doesn't Put it in conversation with sort of general scholars of mysticism right, right. Uh, and two is i think he's writing esoterically also <laughs> i think i think he's writing in a way where he's trying to hide his secrets to the initiates <laughs> and what's his secret <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not. A, I'm not an initiative power, but it seems right. like it seems like he he doesn't want to come out and say his biggest cheduchim explicitly. He wants right. to like point you in the direction. Right. You know what he's he he is doing in his work what he thinks Maimonides is doing in his.
2: Right. He's he's copying him in in form and form and and, and subject, um. Because he he does seem to be pushing for a prophetic reading of Maimonides and, and and the guide is an initiatory prophetic text that's like striving for a reconstruction of of the lost esoteric uh might be it like Maismakava or prophetic yeah. Judaism um there is there's I mean on a, on a point that you said earlier it seems like Maimonides is taking both from Neoplatonism both their negative theology but also their emanationism and he seems to quite um skillfully weed their emanationism into his ptomaic Aristotelian cosmology um, no i'm getting I'm getting you're, you're you're shaking your head
0: yes and no i mean yes but alfarabi already did that
2: sure yeah i mean i mean in, in many ways he's alfarabi is i think the the second most quoted person the guide so he's he's following him
0: right so i mean i think i think in the sense that he's taking the emanationism He's taking it from Al-Farabi. He's not right. taking it directly from Neoplatonism, as opposed to... Oh, I hear what the, you're saying. Right. As opposed to the negative theology, which to the best of my knowledge, and I have not certainly not read all of Al-Farabi, but in like the key works of Al-Farabi, does not really appear.
2: Interesting. I have to I have to have a think of that. Sarah Pessin, um has a brilliant article. I'm sure you've seen it. Um, and she's, she really charts out really, really lucidly the, like the philosophical antecedents of our, of, of Maimonides along. This with... is
0: her article on the Stanford Encyclopedia of yeah, philosophy. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. That, so that's where I would look to see what's happening in, in Al-Farabi in relation to the theology of Aristotle. Yeah,
0: <laughs> so that, that article has been immensely useful in yeah. pointing me to the right sources in Al-Farabi.
2: I actually reached out to, to, to interview her as well, to chat with her um she was busy but 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 like they might we may actually do that still and i also spoke to before starting this series i spoke to uh professor loberbaum uh, i think his first name is yair
0: yeah uh, he he's,
2: is directions as well
0: yeah loberbaum from what i've read like i see seems like i i'd like what him although i his hebrew is immensely difficult <laughs> academic modern hebrew was so yeah. hard to read no he was pretty he, was, he seemed pretty balanced i'm i'm curious um, Right. Yeah. Pessin Pessin does amazing work. Pessin reads Pessin reads Maimonides as, as an Avicennan. Yeah. And she, she so I don't I don't come to the same conclusion she does, but yeah. her work has been tremendously useful.
2: Surprisingly, she also reads him as a non-mystic, and she's reading all of his like mystical constructs as simply philosophical. Like she's assumed them kind of in the Andalusian tradition, which she's identifying as non-mystical, and therefore like all of these what seem to be very mystical propositions. For her, are just like oh, this is like just a philosophical proposition,
0: which I I, I would like to ask her yeah, about. It's also, I it mean, it's also not clear to me that Avicenna and Ibn Bajja weren't mystics. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And and I think I- there's just this there's this tendency in the Western philosophical academy to ignore mysticism, again, not just in Maimonides, but in all of ancient and medieval philosophy, when really the two just, you know, the two were, I, I think, inextricably linked.
2: Yeah, yeah. There there are I forget which historian does this, but there are ways of looking at like the history of philosophy as just inseparable from the history of mysticism and whether and I whether that's like the pre-Socratics with Parmenides and and like just there's this very very rich mystical stream running straight in many ways from the Greco-Roman mysteries um which then infiltrates, you know, pre-Socratic thought and then and continues continues forward in through Neoplatonism to to the rest of the
1: traditions.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm t- you know, like, not mysticism, per se, but like, a, you know, in terms of thinking of an ancient philosophy, Pierre Hadot's work, right, on, right. Um,
1: yeah, you know, philosophy as a
0: way of life and philosophy, you know, pr- again, prior to the modern academy, being rich with things that we what we would call today spiritual exercises, right, and even if it wasn't all mystical, like he points out, like, each philosophical school has a has at least someone within that school who has like a mystical component a mystical component too because these spiritual exercises, whether initially intended or not can lead one towards mystical experiences and then and then those get worked into the philosophical system
1: yeah yeah
0: yeah and, and I mean if
2: if someone's postulating like a monistic metaphysic and there's there they have practices that are bringing one to experience that and, and they're experiencing it it's it seems hard to to see why that's that's not rightfully considered mystical but i guess i guess there's like this is becomes like a space for like equivocation of language where a person just may not be defining it or defining those characters in the same way i'm curious um i have i have more my am of these questions and I'm, I'm actually still in the middle of uh my series and i'm still continuing to research and write for the last few pieces I'm thinking of maybe making it like a complete set of 14 pieces because of that number what it means to my these. I uh, wish
0: I knew what why my
2: mind is love the number 14 so much so I've heard I've heard that it may be because of his brother david that's the the gematria there
0: uh, that's clever I don't okay. know <laughs> right the theories only I've heard
2: right right uh that's 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 the one that's that stuck with me. But, but it's, it's, I mean, it's a very persistent number, like well before terry even, obviously. Um, his, his, his Melissa, his you going? I think it's 14 chapters as well, um, which is like one of his earlier pieces. I'm curious to, I'm curious, this is like just a personal opportunity to get like critical feedback or, or whatever it is. I'm curious what, like, I, I didn't realize that you were watching the videos or following the series. If you have, I'm curious to know what, like, what your thoughts have been,
0: what's like uh like, positive
2: or critical, I'd love to hear.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I have certainly have not listened to all of them yet. Uh, Just, you know, sort of just listened to a few of them, got started. Um, And I've only listened to the ones on Maimonides, so I haven't, like, I haven't followed the series from the beginning, so I couldn't tell you that. But yeah, I mean, so far, I really like your treatment of Maimonides, again, sort of, you know, sort of within this, you know within you know again within sort of a, a religious framework of someone who's not you know just looking sort of at, you know dispassionately but um but at, you know but at, you know but at the same time engaging with the academic scholarship and and, and taking the the phenomenology of of my religious experiences seriously which is really which is really my interest and there's not a lot of scholars in, uh, engaging engaging that angle. Um, I'd love to know more about your background and how you came to this.
2: Yeah, sure. I'm happy to tell you. Um, is that before I tell you that? Were there any like glaring mistakes
0: that that I should know of <laughs> or um, that you would disagree with? I, mean, I wouldn't say mistakes because obviously, like, my mind is written in such a way that like there's so many different legitimate interpretations of it. Yeah. Um, the, the thing I, the thing I thought most interesting is, you know, it, which I guess I'm, I'm going to disagree with in the end is, but it was interesting that you, that you brought it up is your discussion of Maimonides as a pantheist or pantheist. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's, it's a really interesting argument and I, and it's a really old argument too. I think Eckhart already makes that argument hmm. for you know, uh, in is and like, it, it follows, right, if, if God is, if if God and God's knowledge are one, and God knows the world, then it seems to follow, you know, quite clearly that God must be identical with the world. Uh We're And the world, right, right, no, right, right, yeah, not identical with because God, you know, panentheism rather than pantheism, but And again, I think Eckhart makes that argument that nobody takes it seriously. And I think largely because he is also emphatic that God is separate from the world. And so, well, how could, how could that be? And you have Spinoza engages this argument, and Spinoza just said, you know, this is part of his, you know, Maimonides was making philosophy into the handmaiden of theology. And, you know, he should have acknowledged the, the consequence, the logical consequence of his description is pantheism, but he but he refused to acknowledge that consequence because he was too beholden to traditional theology. Mm. Um but, you know, it seems to be a good argument. And I, I think well, you could go in a few different directions with it. You know, one is sort of the the Straussian direction of deny the second premise, you know, deny that Maimonides actually believes God knows about the world, and then you solve that problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know, and that then then that really is Aristotle's God. Aristotle's God did not know about the world.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I don't think that's accurate because even though you know, sort of modern scholars of Aristotle describe that as Aristotle's God, that doesn't seem to be how Maimonides himself ever portrays Aristotle. And Maimonides portrays Aristotle's view as sort of in line with with Avicenna of God knows the general rules by which the the world is governed and maybe not the particulars. Um, and I think that's you know that's sort of the other way you can resolve this conflict, which I saw in totally different contexts, um, Moshe Edel and Lawrence Kaplan resolving it in, in this direction, which is to say that that Maimonides believes that you know god god doesn't god doesn't and i think you mentioned in in, you know this possibility god doesn't know the actual world god knows all of the universals from which the particulars of the world derive and you know what to use avicenna's phrase you know god god knows particulars in a universal way right um so you know god and i think i think i think that idea ultimately just derives from thomistius's commentary on aristotle and i think this i think i i have not read thomistius but i think Idel and Kaplan both say that this derives from Themistius originally the idea that God knows the forms of all things you know which for Aristotle that was the active intellect but sort of combining the idea of the active intellect into the idea of God uh and you know God knows the forms of all things and from that you know and, and from that you know sort of in, in because because the particulars derive from the form so you can say God knows particulars away but God doesn't God doesn't, you know, really know, you know, this world per se. God just knows the forms from which everything in this world derives, and I think that's the other way you can resolve that contradiction. And I think that's that's likely what he meant in Mishnah Torah, something along those lines. Um, again, ultimately, I think by the time we get to the guidance, sort of the robust negative theology, I think the re- the real reason why I would reject.
1: the the notion
0: of uh, of as a pantheist or panentheist is is because ultimately I think he rejects the Aristotelian notion of God altogether as the self-knowing intellect uh, and, and and therefore so if you if you reject the first premise then you, then that argument falls through as well. Right,
2: right. So I, I have been thinking this that, like, what similarly to what we were saying earlier, that there's that there are these two gods at play in our thought. There's God as the self. There's the Aristotelian self-knowing intellect, and then there's you know the Neoplatonic God, which is which is beyond being or, or whatever it is. The, the negative, the God of negative theology. Might it be the case that, and and this might resolve where we see Maimonides identifying the world with God or God's thought, and, and therefore God, and where we see Maimonides saying that there's just no comparison at all to be made, and, and he, he makes that clear a few times. Um, he has a metaphor of the, the captain of the ship and other places, right? Um, could it just be that in one case when he's talking about the identifiability between God and world that he's talking about the Aristotelian God? Uh, the god that is intellect and and does intellectualize something of the world and whatever that is exactly is up for up for discussion and then the god that is just totally beyond that has no identification with the world at all that is just entirely super generis is is that is the god of is the neoplatonic god ironically right so it's it's the the argument that um that Maimonides' pantheism is actually not where his mysticism lies, but his his God, which is more mystical, is actually is actually beyond his pantheism. It's it's specifically he's actually God, which is the quote unquote pan or pantheistic God.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I largely agree with that, except you know, sort of ultimately, you know, I think he ultimately agrees with that that latter conception, although sort of, you know, it is likely he had the, the the former conception at the time that he wrote the Mishnah Torah um but again i'm not i'm not convinced that it is actually you know a pantheism that extends even to the material of of the world as opposed to just the form right right
2: yeah so that's that's something which i brought up in in the in the video there and uh and blumenthal blumenthal kind of makes uh what's what's not i mean kind of a weak argument that just like that limitation wouldn't apply to it's it's it doesn't seem to be that's seems- right. I mean it's
0: ironic. I feel like I feel like if you go that route, which you know, I think is likely what he believed. I mean, it's certainly what Avicenna believed, uh, you at you know, you almost wind up with sort of this Gnostic type world view where, you know, you have you have the material world. And you have in some sense like a spiritual world that exactly mirrors what goes on in the material world, and God knows that spiritual world and you know right. by extension. Right. Also. And I don't know if my mind is would want to be portrayed in that fashion, but it seems it it ultimately seems very similar to my mind.
2: Right. Yeah. I mean, insofar as he's absorbing a lot of like Platonism, right? It's not just a Gnostic notion, it's a it's a Platonic notion, essentially, that there that there is that that dual reality. I mean, it's the basic, the basic theory of, of of the forms in that, in play there. Um, I, I think when it comes to these issues, I try not, I mean, obviously there's a lot of decisions, and a lot of like preferences that I'm making when I put the material together and when I'm researching, but, but I, I do try and leave it open for the audience and I'd be like, well, here's this color, here's that scholar. And like, you can make with that what you want. Um, and even in the end, like, I don't, I actually don't um, think that I'm going to presents like a conclusion Maimonides was a mystic. I'm be like this is the reasons why we might believe so and these are the reasons against it. I think I think I, th- this this comes back to that, to that same space between the, the two gods, which is um, which is uh, Adam afterman's argument against Maimonides as a mystic in his yeah. great book uh, and they shall be one flesh. He has a couple like peripheral arguments, which is like Maimonides isn't really advocating for this, and it's not really his mission, and this, but it seems like his core philosophical argument is that the union that happens, right? Um, even in Guy 351, uh, which of uh, which he says is only a postmodern union, and 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 there Blumenthal tries to make a reading that it's that it's not just postmodern, but but either way, is only ever with the active intellect at best. Um, and the active intellect isn't God, even though Maimonides calls it divine, he calls it, you know, um, the... the right.
0: I mean, I think part of this is semantic, like, Edel is willing to call those who were seeking union with the active intellect mystics and Afterman isn't, just, It becomes a definitional question.
2: Right, so there, there is an element of semantics there, but there's, I think there's maybe like a more philosophical question here, which is like, does Maimonides believe that the human mind ultimately... Can unite with God, and I mean, there's so there's a lot of scholarship on on the limits of, of the human mind. Uh, Penis has done this work, and um, and Altman um, has done it. I think it's it's been done quite extensively. But is does Maimonides? So let's say, so let's say the Aristotelian God, right? So we have this first God. God is God is the the, the self cognizing cognition. Um, it seems that there is a potential link. And that's and that would be God is expressed through the active intellect insofar as it comes to us, right? That there is a potential for the human mind to to relate to that because that is the the image of God, which through which the human is created, and that is the link, the intellect which links you to God. This is three fifty one. Um, so that God seems to be. This is again the irony. It's the Aristotelian God specifically, where Unio Mystica, with whom yes. Unio Mystica
0: seems to be possible, right? That's that's the difference between Blumenthal scholarship and Freudenthal scholarship. Is, I think. Blumenthal is really focusing on the, the union mystica, focusing on the Aristotelian language there. Right. Um, whereas Blumenthal, who's talking about something that goes beyond a pure intellectual mysticism, right. the, right. the, the, the right. super rational, right. Um, is right. Is he, he doesn't, I mean, again, he's working on, on, on Sufi language, sure. not so much Neoplatonist language. But the idea that it's not just this intellectual union with the active intellect, it's something that goes beyond that. Um, and but again, I think it's semantic here, right? I think Afterman doesn't want to call that mystical because he, unless it's unless it's full union, Afterman doesn't want to call that mystical. But I, you know, I, I think sort of direct communion, direct experience of you know, unmediated, to use your term, before experience of the divine. I think that's also a mystical experience. I don't think it has to necessarily be a, a, a one of union.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah. Although, although, funnily enough, he's 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 actually the one who who puts forth the argument that in maimonides angelification there is actually like a transformation of the of the individual into a
0: right. maybe may so Ibra, if we're looking on the Aristotelian side I think I think he, you know there's union with the active intellect and that's not post-mortem I think I think you know when when he's when he's when he's functioning as an aristotelian that's how he describes all prophecies yes yeah. with the intellect. Yeah. yes um when he's moving beyond the Aristotelian there may be a few a full union that t- takes place post-mortem um but but yeah it's not clear to me that what he's describing at least when he moves past the Aristotelian is full union but again it just becomes semantic like are you willing to call that a mystical experience or not and I guess I am and Afterman's not Blumenthal is
2: so i'm curious this is the point that's curious to me um which i'm still trying to clarify for myself which is why it's still interesting which is that the god which is beyond the aristotelian god right the god which just has no relationship with the world at all it seems so and 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 that god which which uh is saying that the human does not unite with right it's which is like well well beyond the active intellect um that God, which which is the God of the negative theology, where you're looking for Maimonides' myst- yeah. like mysticism phenomenologically, let would say, it's it's that God which which precisely seems to be beyond the boundaries of union mystica or pantheism or anything that would fall into the categories of mysticism, besides for a negative theology. Um, so it seems it seems like that God, in some sense, it's. I mean, I wouldn't call it a theism, but it seems to be because it's beyond the reaches of the human mind and on the reaches of of any identification with reality it seems to be in some ways non-mystical and i'm still trying to make sense of of that because it's it's counterintuitive right you would think you're moving from the feeling to the mystical but we're actually moving into the neoplatonic and away from the mystical in in some sense
0: i mean i think i think it is mystic. i mean i think it is again that, i mean it's semantic like Will, are you willing to call it mystical if it's not full union? But I think there, again, in 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 nearly all negative theology, unless unless it leads you towards agnosticism, there is this notion of of you can't know God, but you can experience God. Clear, clear, clear. And I think that's where, you know where Fowler's work is useful about you know the role of imagination is you can, you know to experience God, you have to clear your mind of all conceptions of God, because those are all coming ultimately from the imagination, including the Aristotelian one.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. All all concepts ultimately come from the imagination. And I think that's that's our big contribution there. It's not different from the way we typically think of imagination. And when you clear when you when you clear your mind of all of those through the various you know meditative exercises, then you can experience God directly. And That may not be a union but it's but it's, a, but it's a direct unmediated experience
2: okay so here's my question so when maimonides is speaking about experiencing god let's say in 351 right yeah it has all of his terminology there um ish and chesach and noyam and whatever it is yeah um do you is he talking there about the god of aristotle or is he talking about the god beyond that
0: i i think i think beyond that i think 351 is, why
2: But why then is he still, his language there is still precisely about the intellect and the intellect's union with that and the necessity to meditate upon that. Like it seems to be a, like, it seems to be the
0: Aristotelian union mystica with the active intellect. No? He, you're right. He continuously, for all that, for all that he pushes away from it, he, he continuously throws in this. Aristotelian smokescreen. <laughs> and, and and I guess that I'm, I'm, I'm in a sense reading, reading the guide as as an esotericist would just sort of in the opposite direction from the typical esotericist is yeah, the Aristotelian stuff is sort of just like covering his bases with the, with the philosophers and you know, hiding, hiding his departure from them. So I mean, interesting, I, I'm always I
2: mean, I think I think we always have to be like dubious and skeptical of esoteric readings unless we have good reason to to be making them. Where do you see him showing his true colors then, that allows you to be making that reading of through fifty one?
0: So I I think a couple of things. So I mean, first of all, like you know, you saw my my more recent article, which is not about mysticism per se, but just about about philosophy. You know, and I think. The way I read the the Maestro Merkava chapters, I think that seems to me the point that he is making there. Um is, is push, pushing away from, from the Aristotelian metaph the metaphysics. And I think he is here he repeatedly says throughout the guide that like explaining Meister Merkava is his point of writing the guide. And I think therefore how you interpret those chapters is key. Um and I think it's just and I think, you know, one of the
2: Meister Merkava is the ezekiel's vision of the chat, which i'm one of these goes through okay i've i've just i we, we've been very good at not using hebrew terminology up until this point
0: <laughs> yes um i think also one of the eye-opening things for me when i read the guide cover to cover is the is the astronomy chapters which everyone just sort of skips when you're not reading it cover to cover because like who cares what my mind is thought about medieval astro- astronomical theories right. Um, but I think I, I, after having read it, I'm convinced the main reason he includes all these extensive discussions of astronomy is just to show you his skepticism with Aristotle.
2: Okay, so here's my question then, if if I can jump in. Yeah. My question is, so I hear what you're saying. You're saying that Maimonides frames uh, the guide as an attempt to explain what's happening, uh, what's really happening in the in the in the sort of ancient Jewish esoteric traditions of ezekiel's chariot uh, or the divine chariot rather um and whereas most interpreters see maimonides as um and this is like a classic reading as as presenting an orthodox facade although that term obviously doesn't exist and but really believing in an actual tealing metaphysic what you're saying is that he's presenting a orthodox philosophical facade namely Aristotelianism, which behind it is really resting his
1: his new Neoplatonism.
0: Or... Right, more, right, more, more Neoplatonism, again, I hesitate to use Neoplatonist because he's certainly, he is certainly not, you know, buying wholesale Lentipotinus' system, but the negative theology, the rejection sure. of the idea of God as intellect, Okay. Um, the rejection of, and again, this is, you know, as Pina has already pointed out, the rejection of separate intellects.
2: Yeah. Okay. So, okay. So, my question then is,
0: let's 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 take
2: that. Let's let's take that as a premise, and that he really is um ha- reached himself a break with Aristotelianism, which must have been very tough for him, because I mean, he's an Aristotelian from what, like the age of fifteen. Um, yeah. and, and he, and he, he seems to only speak of him of the highest glowing terms in, until he's done yeah. today. And and there may be some elements of, you know, of, of obfuscation there in, in his language whatnot, but, but at least on the facade, he's holding it. Um, and, and instead he's embracing this, this really deep and radical negative theology, which just does shambles to his philosophy and presumably his, his religious theology as it was up until that point. um. Although it may be like perhaps I'd be curious to hear your speculations if that brings him back to some sort of classic Talmudic or biblical Judaism in some sense. Um, but but here's my question. So let's let's take that, let's assume that's the case. Do you see him ever um making the case explicitly that you're wanting to make that my these as a mystic, let's say, believes that the human can experience that God, the god of of absolute negation, the apophatic god. does he Is he ever making that case, or are you needing to put those puzzle pieces together and so say- I
0: think I think you have, I mean, yes, they're a puzzle the guide is always a puzzle. Sure. But I think when I think and, you know, and here's where I guess haddo's work was was key for me. Is if you really want to understand someone, you know, the the metaphysics of an ancient philosopher, you have to look at what their spiritual exercises are. Right. Uh, And, you know, in in the Mishnah Torah, when when he's talking about meditation, you know, in in in, you know, in like let's say chapter two of Yisodeh Torah. It's always, it's always meditating on God's wisdom. He always, and which, you know, sort of in the Aristotelian sense, God and God's wisdom are one. Right. Uh, So if you're meditating on God's wisdom, you're meditating on God. But, you know, and and it's sort of, but it it becomes this, you know, if you push that to to the, you know, to the limit of mystical, uh, you know, if you push that to the mystical, Limit that becomes union with God's wisdom, which ultimately is union with God in the Aristotelian sense. Right. Um, when when he's describing the spiritual exercises described in Guide three fifty one are different. You know when he describes what are you doing with you know when you say when you say you know when you say kriyasma you know first focus on you know removing. Everything, you know, everything from your mind, but that, you know, but the word you're saying. And you know, first do it with just the first post and the first paragraph and the whole thing, and ultimately the whole thing, then do it with the brachot, do it with do it, do it with right? And you're sort of gradually expanding. But those are all practice meditations, right? That's not that's not that's not meditating on God's wisdom. That's just practicing the. He's just using it as you know as practice to focus your mind and says, and ultimately right and ultimately once you develop this mental focus, then you want to be at the point. You know, then you want to be at the point where you can focus exclusively on God but but that's it's not those aren't meditations on God per se, and I think I think that's hinting at the fact that. That. You can't, you know, in, in his final analysis in the guide, you can't meditate directly on God. God is just what you experience when you have the mental focus to be able to remove all other concepts. And you have to you have to put the pieces together. Yeah, you have to take 351 and put it together with what he said about negative theology in the first part of the guide. But but he never has you he never has you meditating on the Chokhmah the way he does in the Mishnah Torah you're 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 using you're using various various spiritual practices as as practice meditation to train your mind but the goal ultimately is is not to meditate on god but to experience god through removing removing
1: everything else from your mind i'm i'm trying to i'm trying to um
2: like open open my mind to 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 this to this argument to like to 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 give it its its full justice Um, so you're saying because the meditation practice uh which is should be should be a focus um on on suggestion is is not on god's wisdom uh but is simply on an absence that's precisely because we can't meditate upon god um it's bringing to mind um i was actually just trying to find it here earlier in the guide uh in 160 something maybe it's 169 can't remember um where maimonides writes about negative theology he writes that um no one can come to any sort of no human mind can can attain any sort of affirmative conception of God, um, only God, God's self can, can know God uh, in the positive. And that knowledge is, or the knowledge of God is that God cannot be known, right? Um, and this is translated differently, I'm, this is translated differently by, by uh, Pines and by, by Friedlander, um, where Friedlander translates it as as the human knowledge of God, is that God cannot be known, and Pines k- seems to keep it open, where it's like where you could be reading it. It's 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 hasagato. It's like in, in the Hebrew at least, um, which could be either referring to the human or the divine. Which which Wolfson is reading as that the divine self knowledge, even that even God's knowledge of God is simply that God cannot be known.
0: Right, and like, I think human. right. I mean, I think that's clearly reading it in the Platonian direction, um, whereas Friedlander may be reading it in the <laughs> Uh, you know, more Aristotelian direction, which is, again, is consistent with the Mishnah Torah, which, you know, where the most you ever see in terms of negative theology in the Mishnah Torah is we cannot fully grasp what, you know, what, you know, the, the ultimate reality of God, but it's a statement about us. It's not a statement about God. Right um you know and, and in, in various in his you know in various earlier writings he does seem to suggest that you know this is a limitation of matter but perhaps the you know the the post-mortem human intellect perhaps can understand you know more of the divine as opposed to when you get to you know like you said you know guide you know guide 169 where again you can raise the same question about the guide and people do but i think the simplest way to read it is it is actually a statement about God, I'm not, you know, to the extent that we can make statements about God. You know the problem with that, but that you know that God is. God is the one who is beyond knowledge. Not not that not that there's a limitation of our intellect. We can't understand it.
1: Right,
2: right. So so that so that's an interesting parallel, uh, and it's interesting to be to be reading those in concert with each other. I'm still i'm still feel like i'm missing the the full weight of the argument because because let's say maimonides is saying in 351 to meditate on nothingness and, and it seems to be in that passage where he's talking about the shema that that he kind of his, his language is, is a bit all over the place right sometimes yeah. he's saying meditate on god sometimes on the word itself and sometimes it's like just clear your mind it it, it does seem that he's he plays around yeah. with language and it's it's pretty clear that he's doing that intentionally There there's some sort of Trying to throw throw the reader off in, in some regard there. Um but if what, so tell me if this is tell me if I'm if I'm portraying this correctly. If Maimonides is telling us to meditate upon nothingness because God's wisdom is not something that we can is not something that will bring us to to, to God, right? Because we're post-Aristotelian at this point. Uh, and and then you're saying then when at the end of the chapter he does describe some sort of uh Unium mystica, um, we need to be reading that in light of the meditation upon nothingness and not the meditation uh, through the intellect. Is that what you're saying?
0: Yeah. I mean, again, he just, like, you know, in some sense, I wish he'd, you know, sort of come out and describe his journey directly. And, you know, we wouldn't have to speculate and, you know, piece together the puzzle. But, like, I, I think that's part of the beauty of the guy is he wanted he wanted to guide us along his journey. Right. He didn't just want to come out and tell us what he believes. Right. Um, and yeah, he yes. And throughout the guide, you know, he sort of, he, he keeps throwing in this Aristotelian language. And, and you know, but the way I see it, sort of still pointing to something beyond. Like he does this, um, like in, in the, you know, back in the chapter in part one of Negative Theology, where he talks about, well, how could you, how could you know about, you know, how could you know... How can one person know more about God than the other if all you know if all knowledge is is negative? and he talks about, well, someone who, you know, someone who knows that God doesn't have a body but thinks that God has emotions, does not know God as well as someone who also knows that God doesn't have emotions. Um, you know, and then but then he has this, et cetera, right that you know he's pointing to the, you know, and right and so on and so forth with each thing you negate. I, I think, you know, if you, within the Aristotelian framework, there's no need for an et cetera. Once you've gotten to God isn't a body and God isn't emotions, okay, what's left, right? God is intellect. That's all you need to know. Right. Um, you know, and sort of, I think with with the et cetera, he's pointing to the fact that you have, what the lab, that last stage you need to come to is realization that God isn't intellect either. Yeah. Yet he doesn't want to come out and say it directly.
2: Yeah. This, well there's there's two things here that are just like really that are so fascinating to me one of them is as you're saying that the, the guide is is guiding right the person through the journey and and in some ways it seems like Maimonides himself is it's like autobiographical it's, it's like it's, it's his own spiritual journey that that doesn't necessarily seem to be entirely resolved right and he's writing it as letters and they're going one by one
0: Right. I mean, I think that's also sort of the, you know, the question, what's the title of the guide? You know, Freelander called it guide for the perplexed, right. It's called the guide of the perplexed, right. Right. which I think, you know, Freelander's title is, I am this guide who has all of the answers. You are the perplexed. I will guide you along the way. Whereas guide of the perplexed sort of includes himself in the perplexed as well. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. It's actually funny because you see that translation dispute come up a few times, like in, in 351 as well, when I'm writes. these rights, like and i cannot aspire to to guide or is it to guide or to be guided right there is that sense of like is he including himself in and is he not and it seems i mean it's it's clear to me that he has enough grasp of the arabic to put those ambiguities into the text like it's not that it's not just our problem trying to read this text from our angle um and, and and he says he says like in as much in his introduction that he's going to be doing these things to us and there's and in that sense i mean he's in the good tradition of of Socrates and Plato, who are not like telling the student what they should believe, but they're leading them through their own process of trying to to come to the truth. There's this uh, there's this anagogy, I think, is the Greek term where it's like where 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 you, I mean where where you lead first through this like Socratic method, but then through really like a spiritual method of like provoking students to their own where learning is just is just remembering. And in some sense, uh, that's happening. I think I think one of the saddest things of the guide. Is is the letters that Ramonides gets back uh, from the student that he writes them to, and the student is like not impressed with the guide at all. Oh, wow, that must have burnt so bad to to get those. Uh, yeah. That whole that whole game that they start the metaphors of the the wayward woman, and that's that must have yeah. really stung. Like, phew. um, so that's one element. Is is this is this personal journey the guide of the perplex, where he Ramonides is including himself in that um and that's 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 one really phenomenal thing that that like that always like like gets me the other is this like this this realization which like which i've said a few times here which is that the the great irony is that it's it's precisely it's precisely the 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 neoplatonic god um which which is where maimonides mysticism breaks it's my Ma- 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 mysticism sits in his Aristotelian god like and that's both and both epistemologically and metaphysically um and that's like that that's that seems so funny to me um and and i think that there's a good reason here to believe that like maimonides ultimate categorization because he's so negative um puts him beyond like the categories of of mystic rationalists like they just don't apply anymore which is kind of the direction that my colleague justin sledge from esoterica i'm not sure if you saw his video uh kind of the direction that, that he ends up going as well which i think i might follow suit um which is so counterintuitive i mean because you're you're like you're coming from the perspective of history of ideas you're like okay these are the rationalist aristotelians like the, these are the schoolmen and and they're boring and non-mystical or or, or wherever you person's side and these are the neoplatonic mystics you know this is your ibn gabriel and your isaac israeli and your Kabbalists, and 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 then maimonides inverts that and uh, and we're left chasing this this upper fascist. we're left chasing this emptiness that um that yeah I, i'm not yeah that that doesn't really for me it's very hard to, to follow because you're following him into the dark right it's this you're falling into this this binding darkness i'm curious from if anything that i just said is interesting to respond to feel free to but i'm curious if um like you you, you mentioned a few times that you're trying to do a, pheno- a phenomenological analysis of yeah. of his of his religious philosophy um where is that taking you i'm curious to know like give us give us the I fresh
0: mean, you know, sort of a lot of the ideas i'm sharing with you now are sort of you know sort of ideas that are still in the, their infancy in my head and you know someday god willing i'll do more research and write it all up and but you know so any any feedback or pushback is is obviously welcome on them. Um, the oh yeah the, other, the, the 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 in terms of the phenomenology, I think an important point I wanted to make is the guide doesn't end with three fifty one. The last three chapters of the guide just feel like tremendously anticlimactic once you've read three fifty one. Right. But like, why didn't he end there? Right. Um, and I think, I think what he's getting at in the last few chapters of the guide is, is the mystical transformation of consciousness. And it's not just, it's not just this momentary mystical experience of the divine, but you, you know, once you, once you've had the once you've had the
1: you know, once you've had the the
0: direct mystical experience, it 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 stays with you and and you know you live you live, you know, you you your consciousness has this you know this constant awareness of of the divine that stays with you thereafter and you become this conduit of divine providence. And I think that, I think it's that shift in consciousness. And I don't think he had the language to really describe that. But, you know, now that, you know, with the work of, you know, starting with, you know, Huxley describes this, and then um, I saw you had an episode on him earlier on. I didn't listen to the episode yet, but Stace with the introverted versus extroverted mysticism. um, you know where, you know, this, you know, I think what's going, I think, I think you had, you know, you know with our examination of mysticism sort of around the world we have the language to see exactly what's going on there in Maimonides and it's it's this it's this mystical shift in consciousness where at 351 he's describing the the introverted mystical experience and the last three chapters of the guide is is about the extroverted mystical experience where it stays with you you have this constant divine witness with you in everything you do guiding everything you do and I think he he allude, I mean, he alludes to that in the chapters on prophecy earlier as well. With the you know the prophet, the prophet doesn't just have this momentary prophetic experience, but undergoes this sort of radical transformation in their personality. And I think, and I think there is you know and you know I need to do more research and you know this is a, these you know these ideas are not ready to be written up yet. But someday, God willing, hopefully I'll I'll write them up and just you know really seeing. Really analyzing again the phenomenology of Maimonides' mysticism in in the in the the context of the general scholarship on mysticism, which I think scholars have avoided doing because nobody thinks of Maimonides as a mystic, and you know,
1: right.
0: Jewish mysticism is is Kabbalah, and nobody thinks, hey, there are other Jews we can we can analyze through a mystical prism also.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah, that's okay. That's really interesting, and um. <laughs> you've you've kind of preempted where where i'm hoping to end the series with um which is precisely where my mind is ends the guide on which is his imitator day where like where where ha- having had this realization of the unum mystica in 351 we now embody that and we now live um and we 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 it's it's this mystical imitation of god in which we are agents of kindness and goodness and compassion and love um And it seems, yeah, it seems to be a clear result from 351. And uh, the irony is that like when, when you're not reading Maimonides the way that we are, like how you get from 351 to the end is a great question, right? And the second you, you change the perspective when, when you're reading him as, oh yeah, there's, there's a mystical consciousness being engaged here. Therefore, the result is. And this is, this is very standard in, in, like in throughout mystical traditions and definitely in Judaism as well, where it's like your mystical experience, which you theorize upon leads you to change the way that you act and behave in the world. And that's like, that's the ethics of mysticism, which follows from the experience in theory. Right? It's the practice of mysticism. Um, and I mean, there's a good reason, I think, to read like the prophets of ancient Israel as people who are having encounters with the divine, right? That's what a prophetic experience seems to be at least. Uh, and and their message is an ethical one their message is the same message that i want to conclude concludes the guide on it in many senses um which is which is interesting because he doesn't he he doesn't end with silence he ends with action um yep. which which in some ways brings him back to 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 the mishnah torah as well where 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 he seems to be informed by that same ethic uh at least there's been some scholarship trying to make that case um it's fu- it's funny because you know i mean trying to plan out the series there's a certain there's an element of like the scholarship and the rigor and but there's also the element of like the presentability and like the the narrative and entertainment value and like what story are you weaving and i was i was from the very beginning i'm thinking like how am i going to end the series like where, where what's what's the what's the end note and i always was thinking that i'm going to end with 351 and end on the note of my money silence and just end off in like literally into that silence and then, but that's not where he ends. He, he comes back to, to that action, and I think that's I think that's a really beautiful notion. And and in some ways, it it brings him back into into reality. It brings him back into 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 the into the ethical demands
0: of, of everyday life. power power talks about this also, where he goes back to Maimonides' description of of Jacob's ladder, of you know the. The ladder is, you know, the way my mind describes it is the ladder of the prophet. And, you know, you have to go up the ladder towards your, you know, towards your mystical experience, but then the prophet has to come down the ladder and re-enter the world. Right. Right.
2: Yeah. It's the cambellian return back to back to the, the hometown.
0: Right. Or, you know, at, or you know, Plato's philosopher going back into the cave.
2: Right. Right. Uh, which doesn't end so well. <laughs> Um, that's really great it was really it was really great to connect it was really great to meet me you it's been great uh reading your early scholarship it's it's it definitely set me on the right path um so I'm appreciative of that I have I have like I have like this one final question which is like a yeah. sample question it's like uh who then is the is the real Maimonides you know there's this whole thing of like is it Maimonides of the mission Torah or is it the Maimonides of the Mara? in your in your hot take who is the real Maimonides
0: um at what point in his life
1: <laughs> good answer i don't
0: i don't think he was being insincere in the mission tower i think i think at each stage in his life that represents where he was in his own thinking at that time and and where does he come uh by the end of the journey um uh, by the end of the journey i think he has lost faith in Aristotelian metaphysics. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think the one thing that is consistent really from sort of beginning to end is his interest in prophecy. Again, not just meaning the words of the Bible, but meaning trying to achieve prophecy as as an individual goal whether he believed he ever actually achieved it, I don't know. But and I think over the course of his life, the metaphysical background to what he thought was necessary to achieve did change. But I think the one constant throughout his life is the is the pursuit of prophecy.
1: Hmm. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's a very I, I I did hear something beautiful which kind of connects up these two books, which is that Maimonides in some sense um and, and this may not be said in a technical sense, because Maimonides deals with the issue of, of prophecy and halacha in a technical sense. But the, the audacity to write a text like Mishnah Torah um, takes the meaning of from Moses to Moses, none arose like Moses, where you really do, like Maimonides needs to believe, in some sense, that he has some sort of prophetic access to the true Torah, which he then writes down in the Mishnah Torah. And he says you need no other book besides for this and the written Torah. And in like in that statement, that seems to be some sort of culmination of his like halachic or like uh his halakhic formulation from this prophetic state in some in some very
1: some absurd like grandiose way. Yeah. I mean, I think
0: right. I think the more I delve into my I mind. Mean, he's like from from Moses to Moses. Another arose like Moses. I think, I think it's true. I mean, <laughs> I know, like people say it's a hyperbole, but like he really did. I think reveal truths about spirituality, the nature of God, to the extent that you can say anything about the nature of God you know, in ways that really no one since Moses did, and no one since him has really done either, and I think that's why so much of post Maimonides Jewish theology is just trying to uncover the meaning of Maimonides, because it really was just such a such a profound work. Right, a revelation, you could say.
1: Well, David,
2: from David to David, one is <laughs> like David. It's been a pleasure
0: and uh, looking Thanks forward was. to staying in touch, look glad to connect. Yes, I hope you can stay in touch. This really has been a pleasure, you know, having someone to talk about my abilities with in this, you know, on this level, in this vein, which, so yeah, this has been a pleasure. We should definitely keep in touch.
2: Yes, looking forward to your future work once those things get formulated, <laughs> once you yeah. and settled down, and uh, looking forward to hearing your feedback on, on, on whether I do justice or not to,
0: the yeah and if, if you ever decide to write anything in you know traditional uh scholarship i look forward to reading that as well
1: very cool thanks for joining me enjoy My the rest pleasure. of your day okay thank you